to the Word of the Lord tonight. We're going to continue with our uh, series entitled Seven Pillars of Wisdom, one of the beautiful passages of Scripture from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9 and verse 1. It says that wisdom hath hewn out her seven pillars. This, of course, seven, uh, number seven, refers to completion. It really deals with the matter of of completion. If you want to get down into the into the real nuts and bolts of of uh, seven, it's it's really it really has its roots in the uh, nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, the writer John, the writer of the book of Revelation, saw the Lamb of God before uh, saw the Lamb of God and saw that the Lamb had seven eyes. And the Bible refers to the seven spirits of God before the throne. And so it, it has to do with a perfecting and a completing because it is those, the seven spirits of God that, that are a completing factor. We read about them in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. And I'm going to read those to you just quickly here. Isaiah chapter 11 deals with the seven spirits. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord, that's one, shall rest upon him. This is a messianic prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These seven spirits, the uh, prophet Isaiah said, shall rest upon him. Who's him? Verse 1 tells us who him is. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. So he's referring to the Messiah who will come. And the Messiah will have upon him, resting upon him, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So when the book of Revelation describes the seven spirits of God before the throne, it is, it is, a, complete, it is a completing uh, power that comes from the seven spirits that we just read about in Isaiah 11. And so this is what perfects us. The spirit of the Lord, wisdom and understanding and counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it, it brings about a, a perfecting, it brings about a completing. So when wisdom hews out her seven pillars, it is referring to the same type of completion and perfection that can occur. And so when we talk about the wisdom of God, we're talking about a perfect wisdom. We're not talking about an imperfect wisdom, but we're talking about a perfect wisdom, something that is complete. And, and we read from the book of James in the third chapter what those seven pillars are and, 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 and how they relate to us. James chapter 3 and uh, verse number, uh, we're going to start at verse number 13. It says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom, that word conversation actually means conduct so he's saying who is a wise man who is endued with knowledge if you want to know who that is watch how they conduct themselves and a, a wise man one who is endued with knowledge their conduct will demonstrate their wisdom and and knowledge and and will they will show out of a good conduct their works with the meekness that is of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above. And of course, that language, as we've talked about in the, in the past studies, from above is a direct reference to the, to the descension of God into the earth. He came to us from above. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. From above is first pure. 
So our first, our first foundation of wisdom comes from having a pure uh, acceptance of Jesus, a pure relationship with Jesus, a pure understanding of Jesus. And if we'll get, if we'll get Jesus right in our minds, in our hearts, our spirits, he's not just one among many who did good things, but he is the mighty God in Christ. And so the wisdom from above is first pure. Then wisdom becomes peaceable. Wisdom becomes gentle. Wisdom becomes easy to be entreated. It's not, a, it's not afraid of, of asking for forgiveness or, 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 or admitting that they are wrong. Full of mercy and full of good fruits. And, and that's one and the same. Full of mercy and good fruits. The, 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 the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is basically a, a multi-demonstration uh, of the mercy of the Lord. Whether it be love or joy or peace or even long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It is the mercy of God in action. And wisdom that is from above is full of mercy and is full of the good fruits that that we love to talk about here at Tree of Life, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're dealing with tonight this next, this next characteristic of the wisdom that is from above. Uh, the characteristic that says that the wisdom from above is without partiality. Without partiality. The wisdom of God is without partiality. And so let's, let's go ahead and talk about that <clears throat> for the next few minutes. If you were able to be at the one service Sunday night, how many enjoyed that? Wasn't that powerful? My goodness, a wonderful move of the Holy Ghost. We thank God. My goodness, uh, there were some, uh, uh, Bishop Morgan from California preached such a powerful word, and the word that he preached was so full of substance. I told him later, because there were some chicken wings there, I said, Bishop, Morgan, I said, that message had so much meat on it, made these chicken wings look like vegan. <laughs> vegan wings. Just powerful word from the Lord. I'm thankful for wisdom that comes from above and, and, and comes to us in the form of the word of God. It'll, it'll give you what you need and cause you to, to live right and walk right. And so, so the scripture says that the wisdom that is from above is a wisdom that does not have partiality in it. And uh, I want to turn your attention to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. We're going to read the writings of the Apostle Paul to a young preacher named Timothy, a young pastor named Timothy. And, and the books of Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy and the book of Titus, uh, are all written from the Apostle Paul to, to young ministers, Timothy and Titus. It's a really beautiful uh, book, a set of books written by, of course, the great Apostle Paul to these young men who are beginning their ministry, and he gives them understanding of how the church should operate and how they should operate and how they should deal with people and how they should trust in God and how they should how they should teach the people. And it's, it's just a beautiful uh, set of books. And I, I love what Paul said in the 21st verse of 1 Timothy chapter 5 because he kind of wraps everything that he has taught Timothy up in this verse. And, and he says something, it's actually the only other time in the Bible that the word partiality is used. And, it, and partiality means what you think it means. Preferring one over another. And so notice what he said in verse 21 of 1 Timothy 5. I charge thee before God the Lord Je and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things. Now he's talking about what he has written to this young uh, preacher, pastor. I want you to observe these things without preferring one before another. Doing nothing by partiality. Now, he has told him to do a lot of things. He's taught him how to preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. And he's warned him that there will come a day when they will not endure sound doctrine. He is, he's talked to him about 
about uh, doing things in moderation. He's talked to him about how to rebuke and how to reprove and how to exhort. And, and he's, he's taught him how to pastor. But he said, I want you in all that you do, I want you to do none of it by preferring one person over another. I want you to do nothing by partiality. Because that is the way the wisdom of God works. The wisdom of God works differently than the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world says do it all by partiality. You pick your favorites. You pick your preference. You pick who you see as being successful and you go after them. But that's not the way the wisdom of God operates. The wisdom of God says that there is nothing to be done by partiality. We understand this because the Bible tells us very clearly on a number of occasions and in Romans chapter 2, uh, God is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. Now you say, well, what about the fact that, what about the fact that, that, that he blesses certain people? And, and God makes no bones about it. I mean, he told Moses, hey... I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And he said, I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So he was telling him, don't you tell me how to be God. I'm God and I don't need anybody instructing me as to how to be God. And I'd like to know the committee that would like to take on that task. To sit down and sit God down and explain to God how he needs to be a better God. And we'll see how that works out. He said, I'm God. I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion upon whom I'll have compassion. I'm not God. Not that I needed to tell you that. But I'm not God. You're not God. We don't know why God chooses to do all that he chooses to do. We don't know why he chooses to bless some people. We don't know why he withholds blessing from certain people. We don't know, we don't understand all of it. Some things we think look apparent, and, and even that we don't always have right. But I will tell you this, he is a sovereign God. He knows the individual's heart. He understands where they are. He understands where they've been. He understands what they're dealing with. You might cast an aspersion, or you might cast judgment upon them. And God looks upon their situation and said, I've decided to have mercy upon them. He does not do that out of respect of persons. He does it out of respect of principle. He is a respecter of, of principle. He is a respecter of his word. When somebody follows the word of God, God is going to, he is bound by his word to perform his word. He is going to perform his word. So when you line yourself up to his word and he knows your heart, because he's the only one who does know your heart, and he sees that you're lining yourself up to his word, and then you find yourself in a need for mercy, God grants that mercy. And God knows who, is, who has a rebellious heart. God knows who has a stubborn heart. God knows who has a hypocritical heart. God knows who is serious. Even when somebody struggles and even when somebody makes a mistake, God doesn't just write them off because he knows that in their heart they want to serve him. And he's working with them and helping them. And he's not waiting to drop a hammer. But don't make mistake because God knows when a person is not sincere and when a person does not care about him or care about people. And he resists the proud. He resists the proud. And that's his business. He gets to choose because he knows who is proud, who is haughty. Some of the people that you think are haughty aren't haughty, they're insecure. Sometimes we, we, we cast people aside and say, oh, they're arrogant. And when really they're just trying to cover up an insecurity with this self-defensive guard that they have over them. See, God knows the heart of a human being. We look at somebody and say, I don't know why God keeps blessing them. And, and you need to stop saying that and just thank God every day he hadn't thrown you under the bus. That reminds me of the old pastor who he used to disfellowship people on a monthly basis. And 
somebody cross up with the church and the pastor get up and say, all right, we're having a disfellowship and meeting tonight. And he get up and announce who was being disfellowshipped from the congregation. And my grandfather was a young minister and, and uh, he was assisting that pastor at the time. He was in his early 20s and, and one of his friends called him and said, hey, let's uh, go to the church. I think I know who's getting disfellowshipped tonight. And it's going to be, boy, it's going to be something interesting. And, and Grandpa said, I'm not interested in that. He said, well, I, I already know who it's going to be. If it's not him, it's going to be him. If it's not them, it's going to be her. And he had it all figured out. And they get to the meeting that night. And they're sitting on the front row. And the pastor gets up to announce who's going to be disfellowshipped that night. And, and, uh, and Grandpa looked down at the other friend. And he kind of let him know, here it comes. And it ended up being him who was disfellowshipped. That's what happens. You start, listen, you start wishing bad stuff on people, it'll come back on you. Just ask Haman, who made gallows for, for Mordecai, and he ended up being hung on those gallows. Don't wish evil upon people. Don't, don't hope evil upon people. Hope blessing for people. Hope that, hope, that God bless, hope that God saves somebody. Hope that God delivers somebody. Don't practice partiality based on your preferences. Or based on how you see things. But, but if God is blessing somebody, give God the praise for it. Don't envy them. Don't be jealous of them. Where envying and strife is, there's every evil work and confusion. Instead, rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And, and this is the wisdom that is from above. It does not practice partiality. Now, the wisdom on earth will practice partiality the wisdom on earth says why are you fooling around with them messing with them and 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 thinking that that there's some kind of uh gain to be had by working with them when you could be working with so and so and and make a lot more money or gain a lot more access or or find yourself in a better situation or position you could get better promotion if you're working alongside them instead of with this individual and then you start practicing cutthroat politics start practicing cutthroat business practices this wisdom descends not from above this wisdom is is earthly sensual and here's a big one devilish that's what this wisdom is but the wisdom that I'm talking about says that that all men are 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 created equal and that we all have access unto the Lord our God and he sees us and loves us and bestows his blessings upon us and when you look at somebody you don't you don't cast aspersions on them based on how you might perceive them or perceive their situation but instead you see them as God sees them and you rejoice in knowing that he created them you rejoice in knowing that they have value you rejoice in knowing that they have worth and you will not practice partiality notice what the book of James says again before saying this about the wisdom from above is without partiality. James chapter 2 deals with this matter of, of partiality. Verse 1, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there came unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come also... In a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and saying to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? Heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Not to them that have political connections. And it's nothing wrong with having some political connections. Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's just that you don't treat people differently who are well networked than you do people who are despairing and without hope. You don't treat people who have 
uh, means and, and great financial uh, 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 acquirements differently than you do people who have nothing to offer. You, you, don't, you don't treat people according to what they have or what they've accumulated or what they can give you. Jesus said our love for people is to be without assimilation. It's to be without, without expecting something in return. Our love for people is to know that when we love them, we do it unto the Lord. That when we treat them bad, we're treating God bad. When we treat them good, we're treating God good. Can we just just vanquish to the ash heap of history the stereotype of mean Christians? Can we do that? Can we just set a new expectation within society that Christians are going to be the sweetest, kindest, most patient most loving people that they've ever met. That needs to be the expectation of all people. When they see a Christian coming, they need to say, oh good, it's a Christian. They don't need to have the reverse feeling of, oh no, it's a Christian. And it comes from a variety of places. Maybe a bad experience with somebody who claimed to be a Christian. Maybe a bad experience with a religious construct that was anything but Christian while claiming to be Christian. Or perhaps they don't have any real experience with Christianity but have only heard negative talk about it. But, but can, we, can we be the defying factor to what the world may see Christians as being and say, say to them, let me show you Jesus. You might have a problem with Christianity, but let me show you Jesus. You might have a problem with, you might have a problem with people who claim to follow him, but, but, but if you could see him, it's, it's really something, folks. When I consider the fact that when they look upon me, they're supposed to see Jesus. That's really a sobering, a sobering thought. And, and I, and I think to all the times my attitude was bad. And I think to all the times I was, I was sitting in Moses' seat casting judgment on people. And I think to all the times that I acted better than, or acted like I thought I was better than somebody. Or, or I think to all the times that my flesh raged instead of being crucified with Christ. God forgive me and forgive us. Let us, let us live life without partiality. Let us get a hold of that wisdom that is from above. Now you know that you can't just jump into the concept of wisdom being without partiality. There is a process that that leads up to us living a life without partiality. And it starts with wisdom being first pure. Then it's peaceable. Then it's gentle. And then it is full of mercy. Then it is full of good fruits. Then it is with it is easy to be entreated. Then it is without partiality. See, you can't get them mixed up. You can't, you can't truly live a life without partiality until you know and understand the purity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, I, I, he, he blows my mind with how he treated people and how people loved him and felt welcomed by him. It's very convicting to me because, because Jesus, as you, as you may know, the Bible says one of the chiefest criticisms of him was he receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He received sinners and he broke bread with them. He ate with them. And people looked at that and criticized him heavily. And the sinners wanted to be around Jesus. I, the one that gets me is the demoniac who ripped his clothes, who slept among the tombs, who ripped the chains off of his, off of his body and, and, and they could not control him. He was a wild man. He was a menace to society. He was a major problem. And when he saw Jesus, full of devils, a legion of, legion of devils, full of devils. But when he saw Jesus, he, he did not wave. That would have been cool. He didn't just, you know, just holler out, hey, Jesus, thou son of David. No, no. 
He ran to him with devils hanging on his ankles and devils hanging off of his arms and devils trying to pull him back. He runs to Jesus and when he gets to Jesus, he worships him. When that lady caught in the act of adultery, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the sense of relief that came over her when they grabbed her and were taking her to to her certain death because of the sin she had been involved with and had been caught in. And they're dragging her. She doesn't even know where they're dragging her. And when they get her to where she's going to arrive, she realizes it's at the feet of Jesus. I can't even imagine the sense of relief that came over her when she realized I'm in a safe place. Now you hear, hear what I'm telling you. Because a lot of people like to point out that Jesus received sinners and ate with them. That Jesus was, was sought after by sinners. And, and they, they get it wrong and think that then they need to be like sinners in order to have a connection to them like Jesus had. You hear it well. Jesus was not a sinner. He knew no sin. He was perfectly pure. He was perfectly righteous. There was no sin in Jesus Christ. The sinners did not feel comfortable with their sin in his presence. They felt hope in his presence. He was different than anybody they'd ever met before. They, did, they, weren't, they weren't relieved to be in his presence so that they could act a sinner and, and, and Jesus participate. They were, they were thankful to be in his presence because something about him made them understand that they could overcome this in their life. And they did not, they did not feel, they, they did not feel in his presence like less of a person. He, something about him, his demeanor, his persona, his, here it is, his real love, not fake love, but his real love for them came through and communicated to them. So much so that even when he called a woman a dog, her response was, truth, Lord. To remind you of the story that that I'm talking about, a Syrophoenician woman who was not Jewish came to him and said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I need you to come deliver her. And 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 she's just coming after him, you know, and, and she's, no pun intended, she's doggedly determined to get through to him. And his disciples look at him and say, can we tell her to go home? She's on our nerves. And Jesus said, well, he said, I have not, I have not come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she said, she said, have mercy. Have mercy on me. That's how she started. She said, have mercy on me. And and when she said, have mercy on me, he said, I have not come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and, And then she said to him, she began to worship him. And he responded, he said, Listen, he said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. I think he just called her a dog. Now, anybody else would walk away offended. And, and, and somehow, even in saying that, she knew, stop kidding around. You know you love me. You know you want to deliver me. You know you want to set me free. Because in Jesus, there was no partiality. And she cried out to him when he said, you're a dog and they're children and I'm going to give them food. And it's not, it's, not, it's not okay for you to take their food. And she said, truth, Lord. But even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So maybe I could have some crumbs. And Jesus, Jesus looked back at her and said, well, well, wow. You've got a lot of faith. And and before anything had even been opened up really to the Gentiles, he just decides to to deliver her daughter. He said, "She she is healed now. She is delivered now. You just go ahead. Your faith has has operated. Great is your faith. And, And this is the way Jesus was. There was no partiality in him. 
Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree and, and, and is just getting a good view of Jesus. Jesus walks by the tree and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree because today salvation is coming to your house. Critics were everywhere saying, he's going to Zacchaeus' house? It didn't matter. Jesus was impartial. Jesus was impartial. God is impartial. When you, when you ask the question, well, what about Israel? Didn't God show favor to Israel? He absolutely showed favor to Israel. But understand that God, even in favoring Israel, always desired to use Israel as the means to rescue the whole world. That was always why he showed favor upon Israel. Israel is and it is an example of the fact that God is impartial. Because God did not look for the greatest of the earth. He looked for an obedient man. Abraham. And Abraham heard the voice of God. And God said, leave thy father's house. Leave thy father's kindred. And Abraham obeyed the word of the Lord. Left his father's house. Left his father's kindred. And went to a city that had foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. And God responded by saying blessing I will bless you multiplying I will multiply you I will bless your seed I will bless your children and your children's children I will bless them that bless you I will curse them that curse you and that blessing of God is still on the nation of Israel and it had nothing to do with with the the worldly qualities of Abraham, it had everything to do with him placing his faith in God. And if you'll place your faith in God, God will say the same thing to you that he said to Abraham. I'm an example of that. I'm an example of that. I'm actually a living, breathing example of the blessing of the Lord that can come upon an individual who has nothing to offer. My great-grandfather was a Persian immigrant that came to America, he had no money, he had nothing, he came to America, he came to New York City first, he was mistreated, they, they, they took advantage of him, they, they, they robbed him in many ways, he just was cheated every which way he turned, and he ended up in Chicago, he was having trouble speaking the language, he, he was, it was a rough road, but he put his faith in the Lord. He repented of his sins. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He fell in love with Jesus. He worshiped God all the days of his life. And the blessing of the Lord came upon him. He went back to Persia and preached the gospel to his family. He went into Russia and preached under severe duress, under great persecution. He preached the gospel unwaveringly to the Russian people. He preached in Eastern Europe, came back to a America spent his days preaching the word of God did he suffer yes but he never turned his back on God did he go through hard times yes but he never turned his back on God he had a terminally uh, ill child who died at the age of 21 but he never turned his back on God his wife left him for another man but he never turned his back on God and the blessing of the Lord and the favor of God rested upon Andrew Urshan there are times in my life where a blessing will come my way and I hear a little voice from heaven tell me, that's because your great-grandfather was faithful. And I know it has nothing to do with me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It didn't come because I, because I did anything. It came because the Lord said to that man what he said to Abraham, I'll bless your seed, I'll bless your children, and your children's children, I'll bless them, I'll bless them, I'll bless them. And if you get a hold of that, he'll speak to you what he spoke to Abraham. He certainly will do it. He certainly will do it. Hallelujah. You say, but I'm nobody. You're, you're exactly who God is looking for. He is impartial. He can't use people who think they're somebody. He doesn't. He won't. He resists the proud. He will not use somebody who says, I've got a lot to offer God. He'll use somebody who says, Lord, I have nothing. Anything I have is because you gave it to me. Hallelujah.
One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament was a man by the name of Elijah. And one of the things I love about the prophet Elijah, because the Bible will, will give you the, it'll give you a little brief pedigree of the prophets. You know, Joshua, the son of Nun. And, uh, and, and it'll give you a little bit of a begat here and there of, of, of this king or that king or this prophet or that priest. And it'll give you a little bit of their background. And I love Elijah's background. Here it is. Elijah was an inhabitant of Gilead. What a resume. I mean, it wasn't, he, it wasn't, it wasn't Elijah was the, you know, David was the great grandson of Ruth and, and the grandson of Obed and the son of Jesse. And he stood before Saul and he said, Saul said, who are you? And he said, I am the son of Jesse. He was glad to be able to, to list the lineage that he came from. It was, a, it was a lineage directly linked back to the patriarchs. And, and it was a privilege to be able to say, I am the son of Jesse. But Elijah didn't have that. Elijah, wasn't, he wasn't the son of Jesse. He was, he was an inhabitant of Gilead. But I want to tell you that the anointing of God came on that young prophet and he called fire out of heaven and he called rain out of heaven and he shut up the heavens and he raised the dead and he caused the oil to stay. Because God is impartial. God doesn't, he's not looking for somebody with the greatest resume and the greatest pedigree. And, and, and he's not looking for somebody who goes generations deep. If, if you'll avail yourself to him, he'll take that who has generationally deep consecration. And he'll take somebody who's never heard his name and bless them equally. Because he is impartial. Hallelujah. He is no respecter of persons. Glory to his holy name. Hallelujah. You know one thing I love about the church is that we're grafted into the church. How many is first generation but the church is your family? How many, how many can testify to that? Your, your parents maybe didn't serve the Lord uh, in this apostolic truth. But, but you, when you got into the church you realized God plugged you into blessings from all which directions. And you, you're connected back to patriarchs. And you're connected back to prophets. And, and you're connected back to prayer warriors that, that, that have had some a direct or maybe even an indirect influence upon your walk with God. You are blessed to be in the church. The Bible says he called not many wise. He called not many noble. It's, there not, aren't that many rich that he called he didn't call them based on what they had he called them based on what he could do in their lives I love the scripture says Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom and Jesus walks up to the tax collector nobody likes this guy sitting at the receipt of custom sitting at place of collecting taxes Jesus walks up to him and says yeah I want you to be my disciple and it dawns on me as I'm reading that, I'm realizing he didn't call Matthew because of what Matthew could do. He called Matthew because of what Jesus could do. That's why he called you. Because he can do anything in your life. He can do anything. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And don't you ever get into this business or into this habit of thinking that, that I'll show God. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and, and pull away from God and see how this goes without my presence. God will show you. This is his bride. This is his church. Don't you go crawl up into some pity corner and, and think that you are somehow depriving God or his people from your presence. No, no. Yes, he loves you, but he doesn't play games like that. He's got a world to save. And he'll, and he'll bless somebody that is willing. He'll pull somebody out of some sin you didn't think they could be delivered from and anoint them. Oh, hallelujah. He'll visit them in the midnight hour. He'll reach down into their prison cell. He'll meet them at a bar stool. Do you hear what I'm telling you? If God knows that they've got a tender heart, he will reach for them. Hallelujah. He is an impartial God and we must be an impartial people. Because that is the wisdom that is from above. 
first it's pure. See, see, we don't know the value of being impartial until wisdom is first pure. Until, until we really see Jesus for who Jesus is. And we see the kind of life that he lived and the way that he treated people and the way that he, the way that he rescued people and, and, and loved people. And, and, and then all of a sudden it makes us then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated and full of mercy and full of good fruits. And it also makes us without partiality. Hallelujah. And, and that, that, that lack of partiality, it, it causes the church to be able to be the church. The church is for, is, is for all the nations of the earth to be blessed. So, so I mentioned Israel. God used Israel. He raised them up. They were an example of the fact that he'll use anybody who believes, anybody who, is faith, who has faith in him, he will use them. So he lifted Israel up. He blessed them. And he blessed them. And he blessed them. And wherever they placed their foot, they were blessed. And everywhere they went, they were blessed. Joseph was extracted from, from the nation, the, the family of Israel. Israel was his father. He was extracted from the family. And he was placed into a pit, placed into Potiphar's house, placed into prison. And everywhere he went, he was blessed. He was blessed in the pit. He was blessed in Potiphar's house. Blessed in the prison. And he ends up at the right hand of Pharaoh. And he is literally saving the world. Absolutely. And so God showed through Israel, the rest of the world, the blessing of the Lord. This is why... Israel, sometimes when they were when they were disobedient, God would, God would, you know, they served other gods. If you're serving other gods, you eliminate God from being able to work in your life. You do. You, you eliminate God. You know, some people serve other gods. You know, I, I really enjoy praying and, and calling the name Jesus. Because if you're serving a, a, a different God, if you've made something else your God, then who are you talking to when you just say, Lord, help me? If your career has become your God, if your ego has become your God, if your, if your money has become your God, if your relationship has become your God, if you have idols in your heart, then who are you talking to when you just say, Lord, help me? Baal is happy to be your God. and Molech is happy to be your God. And, and they're, they're happy to be your God. I like, I like calling my God by name. Jesus, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, Woo, hallelujah, help me Jesus, strengthen me Jesus, hallelujah, and so, so God lifted Israel up so that the rest of the world could see, see the Lord, so it happened, routinely it happened, that's why, that's why Pharaoh was, was given the front row seat to all of the miracles of God in Egypt. That's why he was given a front row seat to the parting of the Red Sea. So that he could acknowledge the greatness of the God of Israel. That's why God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to see the fourth man in the fire. It's exactly why. Nebuchadnezzar came away from that experience saying, Blessed be the God of Israel. Exactly what God was looking for. The last words we hear from Nebuchadnezzar are him glorifying the God of Israel. God, God's selection of Israel was yes to bless them, but it does not, it's not an example of his partiality. It's an example of his impartiality. Israel had nothing to offer him. God picked them up out of the world. And, and, and their father, Abraham, who was from Ur of the Chaldees, see, See, Israel is, is, is not so much a, Israel is not so much an ethnicity as it is a faith. It's a faith in, 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 in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and God picked Abraham up out. He was from the Ur of the Chaldees. That's where I get my name, Ur. Urshan. We, from the Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was from. So I've told people before Abraham was, we were. And, and, and God picked him up out of that. Abraham had nothing to offer him. Isaac had nothing to offer him. Jacob had nothing to offer him. God blessed them, gave them, gave them peace, 
Even when their enemies surrounded them, he prepared for them a table in the presence of their enemies and blessed them and caused those to look upon their situation and see that the Lord God is great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. And that's what he'll do in your life. He will, he will bless you. It's the wisdom that is from above. So treat people the way God has treated you. If God has loved you, how many know God loves you? I, I want to see a show of hands. How many know God loves you? How many, how many are just amazed by the grace of God? I'm going to see the other hand. How many? Now, see, I got you worshiping now. See that? See what I did there? You're amazed that he loves you? I don't know how he could love me. Come on, that's how we need to always be. It needs to always be amazing grace to us. So that's how you need to love people. You need to love people. That's what Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another even as I have loved you. He loved them without partiality. He loved them equally. And that's how we have to love one another. Don't love somebody because of what they can do for you. Don't love somebody because of how much money they have or how much political access they have or, 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 or how much power you think they have. Love them because God loves you. And you can, when you love people that way, you can love them regardless of what they've done and you can love them regardless of where they've been and you can love them, you can love them in spite of their challenges and their difficulties and ultimately you'll end up seeing the salvation of their soul. Because you're loving them with the same love that rescued you. Hallelujah. Without partiality, without respect of persons. In everything that you do, Timothy, in everything that you do, do nothing by partiality. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This is why, this is why there is just, there is just a, a river of kindness and a river of respect and a river of patience, and a river of love, and a river of mercy. Be quick, be quick to forgive. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's the wisdom that is from above. And if you will let that wisdom get a hold of you, it'll change your life. And, and, and before you know it, you'll be like Jesus. Hallelujah. You'll be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to be like the Lord. Could we just lift our hands and praise him tonight? Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you, precious Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Could we stand to our feet tonight and just love the Lord together in Jesus' name. Let's just praise Him together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Go ahead and praise the name of the Lord. 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 Come on, let's ask God to do something in our spirit that's brand new. Hallelujah. Let him take all the partiality out of you. All of the respect of persons out of you. Hallelujah. Let him take out of you everything that's not like him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Let him put kindness inside of you. Let him put love inside of you. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you, precious Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to, I want to read to you some from James chapter 2. Verse number 6. Because the Lord just, through James, taught us not to, not to respect persons. Hold not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as in respect of persons. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, that, 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 church needs to be the, the, the number one, the number one example of unity. We, we need to stand out like a city on a hill that cannot be hid to show this world. You know what? Y'all can keep on fighting, striving, 
being angry at each other, segregate yourselves all into these various groups and hate that group and hate that group because you're from different ethnicities and what have you, but that's not how it is in the church. In the church, there is no partiality. In the church, there is no respect of persons over another. It is, it is the love of God that constrains us and that binds us together. And we are all one in Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't want you, he said, I, I don't want you to respect people based on the money they have or disrespect them based on the money they don't have. He said, you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? And it is, it is, I mean, we're all human and we all do it, but we could run into a celebrity and just go get all giddy and excited get a selfie and get an autograph and, and, and they, they probably got some in many cases series that are blaspheming God do they not blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself you do well but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Partiality, preferring one over another in terms of, of feeling that they have more value than another it's sinful it's sinful it's sinful but when the love of God gets a hold of your heart I'm telling you you'll love everybody I said you'll love everybody somebody said I'm not one of those people that just throws out I love you I you know I, I might like somebody but I'm not well I am I am I love you I love you I love you love and appreciate you. I love you in Jesus' name. My God commanded me to love you, and I love you in the name of the Lord. Lord, Lord, baptize me with a new love for my brother and a new love for my sister, and you better love the stranger too that you haven't even met yet. You better love that person that's in need. Hallelujah. Treat them like it's you in that position. Treat them like it's your child in that position. Treat them like it's your family in that need. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're going to sing tonight. And as we do, I want us just to lift up our hearts unto the Lord and ask Him to touch us with brand new wisdom that is from above. Lord, perfect us. Let the spirit of wisdom be a perfecting agent in our life and let me begin to see people without partiality let me begin to see people without preference and let me have a respect for people I'm just going to tell you respect is something people shouldn't have to earn from you credibility credibility yes people need to earn credibility but 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 not respect respect is something every human being needs they need it they need it you need to go show them love and show them respect Hallelujah. Treat them like they have value. Treat them like their soul is worth Jesus dying for. Show them the respect that God creating them affords them in Jesus' name. And I'm going to tell you that, that that love and that respect will reach down to the deepest pain they have and apply a healing balm that only love and respect can give. Don't respect one over another. Respect all equally in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift up our hands and let God do a work in us tonight. Let's lift up our hearts and let God do a work in us tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah.